0: i started investing in property personally whilst i was working at goldman so started it completely as a side hustle and i came across property almost by chance there was somebody that i knew who had been investing for for quite a while and i had been speaking to her more and more about it And then the more I spoke to her, I sort of said, actually, this sounds quite interesting. And then I started to look into it, look into how it worked, look into the returns. And at first, I couldn't even believe what I was seeing. I was like, how is this possible? How can these be the returns? Like, these are fantastic. How have I missed this? Why is no one else doing this?
1: This is Ayesha Ofari, a passionate advocate for financially empowering women and minorities, encouraging them to embark on property investment. Ayesha is the founder of property investment company Action and two powerful communities, Proper and the Black Property Network. Most of us aren't taught about money, which means that most of us don't know how to save and invest. In the UK, the lack of financial literacy disproportionately affects black communities. This takes a huge toll and has a big impact on our level of income and wealth. I'm Emily Bellet, the founder of Vespot.com, a thriving community that financially empowers women. Author of You're Not Broke Your Privilege and host of The Wallet. I was keen to talk to Ayesha because I wanted to learn more about her journey and how she managed to reach financial independence by investing in property. Ayesha quit her job as a wealth advisor to launch her business, and today she talks to me about the importance of mindset. She believes education is key when it comes to empowering people financially, and that residential real estate is an asset class people should know about. A little disclaimer. Note that the information made available on this podcast is provided for educational purposes and does not constitute financial advice. Also, if you're investing money, make sure it's for the long term, that you've done your own research and you understand what you're investing in. If you have any questions, you should seek advice from an independent financial advisor. Hi, Ayesha. Good afternoon. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I am doing okay, as well as can be expected. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I'm super happy to have you um, on the wallet today. And we had a conversation uh, before Christmas, and and we're talking about your mission, your journey. So you've launched a few companies, Propel, Axion, the Black Property Network. You're going to obviously talk about this, but I wanted to start with maybe your journey, where you come from, because you come from the world of finance, a little bit like me, and we were, you know, exchanging our experiences. Yeah. So you worked at Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, you managed clients' money, basically, you were investing money for them. So what led you to start these businesses? But it's also, you know, why why finance? Why did you start working in finance? What you know, where the main challenge is. So maybe you start by telling us your your, your journey a little bit.
0: Sure. And I, I guess the responses
1: I'm about to give are probably not what
0: most people expect. You know, for a lot of people when you say, you know, <laughs> why did you go into finance? It's like, oh, because I was so driven or passionate about it. The, the whole point of this is honesty. So why did I get into finance? Well, I had a lot of student debt that I needed to pay. <laughs> And finance paid well. And I remember being at university and a lot of the banks come onto campus to try and woo the students to applying for jobs. And I'd never heard of investment banking. I didn't know what it was. I knew nothing about finance. I was a physicist. So I studied physics and and did a master's. I actually wanted to do a PhD, but my mother wouldn't let me. She said, you've got too much debt as it is. There's no way you're doing a PhD. Go and get a job um, and pay off some of your debt. And I remember going to a session, I think it was by Credit Suisse. And I went because my friends were going and also they were giving out freebies. And as a student, anything free I wanted. <laughs> and then I sat there and I listened through this presentation and I was like, okay, they're looking for people who are good with numbers. Numbers is my thing. I'm a bit of a, a math geek. I'm like, this sounds relatively interesting. They pay really well. I've got a ton of debt. Yeah, okay. Like, how do, how do I sign up for this thing? And I think the, the great thing about a lot of companies actually but particularly the the investment banks is they'll teach you what you need to know so as i said i knew nothing about finance nothing about accounting knew nothing about business but they were insistent that they could you know teach me everything i needed to know so i ended up joining morgan stanley in investment banking M&A before financial crisis it was an absolute blast had such a great time and then obviously 2008 came and then the world changed overnight And so did the sort of working environment as well. And ironically, I was literally in the building next door to Lehman. So it was just a crazy place to be. And I realized that banking wasn't, it just wasn't working anymore. We were sort of turning up for work, but there was no work to be done. And I hate feeling useless. I always like to be doing something with my time or progressing. I'm not sort of one of these people that can just sit so I decided that I needed to do something else and I love to study. So it for me, it made sense to, to, to go back to school. So I went to business school this time and I did the two year MBA program at London Business School, which was literally two of the best years of my life. That was interesting because that's where I think the entrepreneurial bug in me sort of started. Because at business school, you meet so many different people from all over the world, different backgrounds, a lot of people who went there because they wanted to have you know, their own businesses. And I'd never really considered that before. Despite me saying all of this, when I left, I joined Goldman Sachs. I went back into finance. <laughs> <laughs> but that's for, I guess, a number of reasons. A, I didn't really have a business idea at that point. There was nothing I was passionate about. And for me, I kind of felt, If I'm going to do something on my own, I have to feel it from like my gut. I need to be really passionate about it. And I didn't have something that sort of stood out for me. And obviously, the MBA was finishing. I needed to go back into work. So I decided to go back into finance because it's what I knew. But I wanted to do something else where I was involved with clients from the beginning and I could own that client relationship because. Despite being a you know a math person, I absolutely love people. I'm a chatterbox. I love to talk. I love to interact with people. So I wanted a, a finance role that combined that aspect as well. And wealth management worked really well because not only was I responsible for going out and finding my clients, I also had to manage their money and create portfolios for them and decide where I was going to invest, you know, which trades to do and various other things. So it, it, it really suited what I was looking for. So I joined Goldman after business school and I was there for for 6 years. It was great. I mean, Goldman Goldman is a very interesting place. I learned a lot, a lot of good times, some pain as well, but overall it was uh it was a great experience.
1: Yeah, thank you for for your honesty about, you know, why working a career in finance and I think we you know, we should talk about that a, a, a lot more is it's, it's okay to start a job also for the money, even if it's not your, your passion. I think I was like you. I started working for Lehman Brothers, so next door next door to you in 2007. And, and obviously, you know, we were well paid. Uh, these were like, you know, the maybe the top jobs uh, a decade ago, maybe not anymore today. And I think most of the graduates want to go into entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. But I think that, I mean, for me, that give, gave me a, a head start. So, you know, learning a lot, obviously, in a very challenging environment, they, 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 they teach you a lot of things. Things. um but also you get you get paid so then you can you're free to use this money for for anything you want and I think that allowed me to then leave and and, and work in entrepreneurship and, and try to build businesses and stuff at which point did you decide okay I want to be a, an entrepreneur'm I'm, I'm working with wealthy clients I guess I'm earning a good salary where did you leave
0: yeah so that, that's a really interesting one so I think the first sort of seeds of me wanting to have my own business started at business school. If somebody had said to me pre me going to LBS that, you know, if they sort of looked ahead and they saw me and I was a partner at a, you know, a big investment bank, I would have been really happy at that point because back then that was my sort of career goal. But business school really changed. It changed my mindset and the way that I I, look at, I looked at the world and the way that I also looked at myself. And after the MBA, I had a lot more sort of self-belief that, you know what, if I want to go out there and start a business, yes, it's going to be difficult, but I can do it. Whereas pre-business school, I probably would have thought, no, 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 I can't start a business. Like, you know, that's, that's for other people. Like, what do I know about starting a business? So I got yeah. the, I got the self-belief. So even though I went to Goldman, there was always something in the back of my mind that, you know, one day I wanted to start something of my own. And ironically, I got married in twenty fifteen. And at my wedding, my mum announced to everybody in her speech, you know, one day Aisha's gonna own her own business. Obviously, I had been talking about it a lot because people in my family knew it wasn't great. My mother announced it in my wedding where I had colleagues there. And I'm like, yeah, Mum, they don't need to know that I'm planning to leave. (laughs) But that was it was an important moment for me because it made me realize that I have obviously been talking about it enough that people around me know that I, I clearly want to do my own thing at some point. So I guess what, you know, what enabled me to finally pull the trigger? I mean, it wasn't easy at all. But a couple of things started to happen. I started investing in property personally whilst I was working at Goldman. So started it completely as a side hustle. And I came across property almost by chance. There was somebody that I knew who had been investing for for quite a while. And I'd been speaking to her more and more about it. And then the more I spoke to her, I sort of said, actually, this sounds quite interesting. And then I started to look into it, look into how it worked, look into the returns, and at first, I couldn't even believe what I was seeing. I was like, how is this possible? How can these be the returns? Like, these are fantastic. How have I missed this? Why is no one else doing this? And I almost didn't believe what I saw. Then I mentioned it to my husband, and he was the same, like, oh, Aisha, you must have made a mistake. This can't be right. And like, I've done this in Excel. I don't make mistakes in Excel. Like, this is, this is the returns. And he sort of said, well, you know, if investing in property was so great, then why isn't everyone doing it? I'm like, I have no idea, but we have to do this. And that was kind of the beginning. And what I realized is over the years of still working at Goldman, still building up my property portfolio on the side, I love property. I would, on the way to work, read property-related articles and things instead of the FT, evenings, weekends, everything property, every moment I could. I was on Rightmove, Zoopla, looking what I could buy. And, And that's when it hit me that, you know what, this is more than just a hobby or a side hustle. I love this everything about it makes me excited you know i wake up in the morning thinking about property not going to work and what i'm doing so for me that was a big indicator that clearly you should be doing something in property so yeah i guess at some point i sort of said to myself right what is it that i'm doing here and i think one of the, the good things is from my property investing i got to a position where i was fortunate enough to be making more money than than i was earning at goldman and if you're fortunate enough to get to that position, it allows you to to sort of how best to explain it, it basically allows you to have sort of mental freedom. So I no longer had to worry about how I was going to pay my bills or various different expenses like that, because I was financially independent. So it allowed me to have the sort of brain capacity to really think about what I wanted to do with my life. And I sort of felt right, if I don't need to work anymore, I want to work because I'm the type of person I like to be busy. But I want my life to have meaning. I want to be able to look back and say, with the time that I had, I impacted people or or I did something. And so for me, I knew that I wanted to do something where I was helping people. I knew it had to be property related and clearly it had to use my skill sets and what I'm good at. So when I kind of put everything into a pot, it's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm good at investing. I'm particularly good at investing other people's money. I love property. I became financially independent from building a property portfolio part-time as a side hustle and then I was like other people need this in their lives imagine if other people were able to you know to either do what I did or even just generate some extra income from property it's it's a it's a great way to to give you freedom to be able to you know to choose to do other things and decide what you want to do with your life versus being forced to do certain things so at that point, I said, right, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to resign. It wasn't easy. I literally had to to do it twice. I wrote my resignation letter, left it at home countless days. I come home from work and my husband was like, have you resigned yet? I'm like, nope, not today. Didn't Didn't have the courage to do it. <laughs> <laughs> going to try again tomorrow. And I think that's just because I was at Goldman for a long time. You, you get used to it. It's very difficult to leave when you're so used to the system, you're used to having familiar surroundings. I love my clients. I spent years building up that relationship with them, them finally trusting me to to manage their money. I didn't want to leave them. So it wasn't easy. And And literally the day I resigned, I kind of you know went into my boss's office and told him I was leaving. He then told me to take more time to think about it, and I was like, no, no, I don't need more time. <laughs> like I'll probably change my mind. I don't want more time, but of course, yeah, but out of respect to him because he he was great, um Alex, I went back again, thought about it again, and then I came back a few weeks later. I'm like, no, 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 I'm definitely resigning. Here is my resignation letter, and then I just ran out because I'm like, I don't need him trying to convince me to stay, and that was it and To be honest, that day was terrifying because obviously I had ideas about what I I wanted to do, but I hadn't set anything up in motion in terms of an actual business. And in my mind, there were so many doubts, like, what if this doesn't work? What if I have just resigned from like a fantastic job, which as my mother kept telling me, you know, people would give their right arm to have, you're crazy. Why are you doing this? So I had, I had some people around me doubting me, which didn't help, but I, I don't know, something in my gut, I was like, I have to do this. I have to do this for myself, even though I have no idea what the future looks like at this point. And then something really great happened. I had obviously told my clients I was leaving. And one of them I called and I sort of said, By the way, I've resigned. You know, I'd love to stay in contact with you just because we're actually friends, but you know, obviously I'm not gonna be managing your wealth anymore. And he he offered me a job and I said, But I don't even do what you do. So, how could I work for you? And he's like, Well, you want to do something in property, don't you? And I'm like, Yeah. He's like, Well, come and do property for me. And I was like, But you don't do property investing. And he's like, Come and start it for me. And I said, You know what? I love that you have so much faith in me that you're <laughs> offering me a job you don't even really have. But I need to do this for myself. I need to build something of my own where I can help people in the way that I want to. But it just made me feel that if he believes in me so much, then of course I should believe in myself. And then I just felt even more encouraged and that was it. I left and have never looked back since really.
1: And and how did you then start? I mean, did you start Propel first and, and what, you know, the, the first days, I mean, how did it look like?
0: So the first business I started was Axiom Property Partners and that was working with high net worth individuals who either previously didn't really have any residential real estate investment exposure, or those who wanted to just invest more into residential real estate. And what I realized was, there's a lot of people who are sort of buy-to-let investors or who invest at what I call a sort of more retail level. But when you look at high net worth individuals and sort of small family offices, what I call more institutional investors, there wasn't really anybody sort of helping or guiding them to invest. And so I realized that there was an opportunity in the market there. And because of my role at Goldman and working with ultra high net worth individuals and having a lot of connections and contacts in that space, it just made a lot of sense. And for me, it was a bit of a no brainer, particularly when, you know, I spoke to some of my clients and told them I was leaving. And then when I told them what I was doing, they're like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Like, can I have some of this?" So it made me realize there was a market opportunity. But what was really important for me is it wasn't just working with the same clients and just giving them a different type of investment. What I focused on was using or was sort of directing the funds that they had to work with developers who were building affordable housing. And when I say affordable housing, I literally mean homes that cost, you know, 100,000, 200,000 pounds so that people can afford to buy them with, you know, a 5% deposit with help to buy, but building nice quality homes that are affordable for people who otherwise wouldn't be able to get on the housing ladder. And that tied back into my, I guess, vision of, if I now have the ability to work for myself, I want to make an impact, a positive impact on people's lives. How can I do that? So yes, I'm still working with wealthy individuals, but the ultimate end goal is giving people great homes that they can afford. So that's where I started.
1: No, that's, I think that's fantastic. And that's, you know, we, we talked about our respective missions of, you know, really empowering people financially. And and what I love is, I mean, after building Axion, you, you build also Propel and you're helping people like get on the property ladder or invest in property. And some of us, like a lot of people who actually can't afford to maybe buy a house and and we know how hard it is to get on the property ladder today so I think your mission of helping a lot of people to actually invest in property is really really strong so maybe you can tell us you know what what you do today in terms of of education and how we can get into into this space if we don't know really well and if we keep you know reading the news and seeing that you know we can't afford property millennials can't afford property anymore is this true?
0: So I guess the reason that I set up Propel, and again, it was more something that happened rather than me sort of saying, you know, I want to set up a, another business. Essentially, a lot of people started to come to me and say, you know, we see, we've see we seen what you've done for yourself in terms of your own property portfolio. We've seen how you now work with other people to, to help them invest in property. Can you help me? And overwhelmingly, a lot of the people coming to me were women. And so at some point, I was helping people individually, but it it wasn't really efficient in terms of my time. I just, there just weren't enough hours in the day to help everybody. So I realized that if I sort of set up a group where I could sort of share knowledge and information with the women at the same time, then that would be more beneficial. And I started just literally setting up really informal groups where I would share property knowledge and it just completely exploded <laughs> And then I, I was almost forced to set up a company and put more structure around it just because there was just so much demand. But fundamentally, what Propel is about is it's female financial empowerment through property investing. Just as I was able to use property investing to to change my life, other women can do it too. And it's not a case of, you know, you need lots of money to get into property. That is a misconception. And it's something that a lot of people just don't understand, particularly because, you know, when you do listen to the press, it's always house prices rising, house prices rising, you know, wages not rising as fast. But the beauty of property investing is you don't necessarily have to own the whole property. There are ways that you can own a portion of a property or shares in a company that own the property. So you still get the same property like returns, but it means that you're just investing what you can afford to invest. And a lot of people don't know about some of the ways to do that. And then there are also various different property investing strategies. So again, a lot of people think that you know, when you say property investing, you mean buy to let. So I'm going to buy a property. I'm going to rent it out to somebody and become a landlord. That's just one strategy. There are so many of them. There are strategies such as rent to rent, for example, where you don't even buy the property. With a rent-to-rent strategy, you essentially lease a property from, a, from the ultimate owner, so from a landlord, for a long period of time. You agree to pay them a fixed rent, and then you can rent it on. So you'll rent it on for more than you're paying the landlord and cover some costs so that you can keep some extra profit yourself every month. You essentially have control of that property without having to buy it. So no deposit, no stamp duty, none of the upfront costs. So for people who don't have a lot of money, for example, rent to rent could be a great strategy. Then for those people who do have a bit of money saved away, you know, there's still more than buy to let. There's, you know, HMOs, you could start to look at, you know, doing refurbs or flips, you know, potentially buying something at auction, doing it up and increasing value that way and selling it on. There's so much in the world of property, but a lot of people don't know about it. So my mission with Propel was, I guess there are sort of three things within it. So the first one is about learning. It's so important to be able to share knowledge and education with people so that it helps them understand what's available, what they can do. And it also helps to reduce, I guess, fear of the unknown. When you don't know something, you, you sort of think, oh, I can't do that. It looks really difficult. But most of the time, it's just because you don't know enough. Maybe if you knew more information, it wouldn't actually seem that difficult to you. And I really think that that's the case with property. Once we can, you know, share information and explain to women how to invest in property, how do you go about it? What do I do day one? I want to get into property investment tomorrow. I wake up. What do I do? We literally at Propel go through the steps. We help women build independent bespoke strategies for them such that they can create a portfolio that fits within their life. It can be active. It can be, you know, I actually want to go out and own property myself, or it could be completely passive you know, I'm going to invest in other people's projects. And one way to do that, for example, is through property crowdfunding. So there are so many different ways to invest that can fit around women's life. For me, it's something every woman should be doing. And that's what we're trying to, to help people do at Propel.
1: Yeah. And and why for you, I mean, why is, you know, real estate a, a good asset class to, to invest in? And, and maybe you can tell me the maybe the pros and cons of of investing in properties? Because I think just being aware also of of the risks.
0: It's, It's a couple of things, really. So for me, I love the fact that it's something tangible. It's something that, you know, we can see, we can touch. Majority of us, live in a property, whether we own or we rent. So we understand the fundamentals of mortgages of rent. So in terms of the basics, majority of people understand. And even when it comes to sort of how you use debt or leverage, for example, the mortgages, most people have a basic understanding of of how they work. And it can get more complicated than that, but not much. Whereas, for example, with something like investing in equities, majority of people understand the concept of, for example, buying a share. But if you want to do something a bit more complicated and use leverage and, you know, start purchasing, you know, structured products or calls or puts, majority of people don't understand those things. And for me, the beauty of, of investments is being able to use debt. So to use leverage to increase your returns. Now, clearly, you have to be sensible about how you use debt. But I personally don't think property investing works unless you use debt. And because it's, as I said, it's relatively easy to understand how to do it, I think it lends itself well as an investment class for for a lot of people to consider. Again, you'll need to understand how to do various things. But, you know, there are various platforms and places that you can go to get the learning. And on top of it just being an investment, it also helps people to better you know, increase their their financial literacy. And for me, again, that is something that is fundamentally important.
1: So, I mean, you, you mentioned that you can invest in property without owning a place. Can you just give me maybe the, you know, the top strategies you've been using for yourself and maybe, you know, for someone who has no money or very little money to invest or was like a small deposit and a bigger deposit and maybe like the, the, the main strategies they can use? Sure. So... The way that I look at property investing is there are two ways to do it. You can
0: either be active and by active, I mean, you actually want to go out there and be finding tenants for yourself or renovating and and doing that kind of thing. Or you can be passive where you you can invest, you're still getting, you know, property like returns, but you're not doing any of the legwork yourself. And if you're looking at the more passive side, then something that I think works really well and something that I do myself is property crowdfunding. Uh, So at Propel and and just personally, I work with a company called Leo Crowdfunding. So that's L-E-O. And essentially what Leo Crowdfunding allows you to do, you can invest in property from as little as £100 and you essentially can buy shares in a particular property project or development. So whether you have £100 or a £1 million, you get access to the same investment opportunity and the same return amounts. Now, the reason I think that's incredible is because historically, property was just for the wealthy because majority of people yeah. couldn't afford it. So you'd only be able to get those types of returns if you could afford to actually buy. So what property crowdfunding does now is it gives people access to those types of investments with just a hundred pounds. So it essentially democratizes property investing. For me, that's a game changer. Now, if you want to be an active investor in property but you don't have much money. Then, as I said, there are certain property strategies that you can consider. I mentioned one before, rent to rent. Another one is something called a purchase lease option. It is a little bit complicated, but again, if you have somebody who's kind of been through it before who can explain it and show you how it works and, and get you going, it's it's something that you know is on the table for people to consider if they don't have much money when they get started. I'd say the only caveat I would say, and you did ask me for some of the cons of of property investing, it's not easy. And sometimes people think that property investing is a get rich quick scheme. It is not. It is, particularly if you're doing it actively. If you're doing it passively, then it's different because you don't have to put so much time in. But if you want to be active in property investing, you need to have that time. And it's a lot of time. If you've got a really busy job or something like that, you're not going to be able to do it. And then people always say to me, well, then how the hell did you work at Goldman and build your property portfolio? <laughs> I literally had no life. Aside from working yeah. and then property, I saw, I didn't see my friends. I didn't see my family. Luckily, my husband was as crazy about property as I was. So date nights were like on the train, going to, going to viewings and things like that. I literally did nothing else. And at the time, you know, I did sort of regret it little bit because I was like, oh, I'm not seeing my friends and they're going out and they're doing this. But, you know, roll forward a few years and it was the complete opposite. My friends were looking at me saying, oh my gosh, look at Aisha, we should have done what she did. (laughs) You know, she sacrificed some of her time to really focus on building her property portfolio, but look at where she is now. So you need to have the, the commitment to it. A lot of people get started and find that they don't necessarily make money as quickly and then they get a bit jaded. For me, property investment is a long term investment. It's not something that you come into, you know, for a pun, or you think you can come in for a few months and make money. It doesn't work like that. So if you're not the type of person who can be committed for the long haul, or you don't have a long term investment horizon, then it's probably not going to be for you.
1: No, thank you. And I guess when you when you say long term, 10 years plus, maybe I mean, this this should be clearly for your, you know, long term goals, the money you don't, need for for the short for the medium term you know what are the prerequisites before starting to to
0: invest i think for me i wouldn't invest in something unless i understood at least the basics so you need to i guess find an investment where there are learning elements to it or you go to an environment where learning is a, is a big part of it so you know at propel as i said learning is something that's really important We have monthly webinars on different types of property investing strategies. You know, if there is an investment deal that comes up, so we partner with Leo Crowdfunding. So say there's a deal that comes up with Leo Crowdfunding, we'll actually go through that deal with the women. We'll talk about the different aspects. People can ask questions. Leo also runs its own webinars where it informs people. So you need to understand what you're investing in before you do it. But one of the great ways of getting in is or actually learning is by doing. So what I say to some people is, make an investment, make a small investment. You know, you're not investing because you're necessarily looking to you know make great amount of money from this, but make a small investment so you learn the process so that you can actually go through the whole investment cycle and understand what happens at each stage, ask questions about the property, et cetera. It's a great way to learn. I think that that would be my sort of number one tip in terms of what people can do from from the start. And the other thing that I'd say is, there's a little bit of a difference between buying a property to invest in and buying a property to live in. Now, for a lot of people, I know that when they want to buy their own homes to live in, you're also thinking about it as an investment as well, because you're hoping it's going to go up in price and it's going to create some wealth for you. And for majority of people, that is the case. I say the slight difference between buying a property to live in versus buying one as a pure investment is that, the considerations that you'll have will be different. So for example, if it's something that you're going to live in, you might really care about whether or not your living room is south facing because you're going to be spending a lot of time in there yourself. Maybe you like something that will have particularly high ceilings because that's something that you really like. So when you're buying a property for yourself, there are going to be things that are going to be essential for you to have because you personally want them in that property that you're going to make your home. But when you're thinking about it from an investment opportunity, they're not so relevant. So, so long as the property is nice and someone can live there and you can rent it out and the ceilings are of normal height, do you really care if they're really high? Probably not. Those are the sorts of differences between looking at a property as your home and as and as a sort of pure investment.
1: Can I ask you a question about returns from sure. investment in, in property and maybe if you could Maybe not compare, but just give you an idea, a rough idea of, of you know, property versus maybe, I mean, savings accounts, that's going to be, you know, a big difference, but also maybe versus the, the stock market, because, I mean, usually, and, an, you know, you've been in this position advising your clients, but, you know, the, the rule is you should spread your money over, you know, different asset classes. So how does real estate fit into your, your investment portfolio and, and, and your strategy?
0: Yeah, so... I guess before I answer that directly, one of the things that's important when I think about how I invest my own wealth is absolutely diversification is important and you have to not put all your eggs in one basket because obviously if that basket falls over, then you've got a problem. But for me, there are two different camps or two different groups that I think of when I think of people building wealth. There are those who are what I call in wealth creation mode. And those who are in wealth preservation mode, so those who have already made money and trying to keep what they have, if you're in the group where you're in wealth creation mode, where you're trying to build wealth, you have to take a certain level of risk because you get paid returns for taking risk. And one way that I've seen, particularly with a lot of my clients at Goldman, in that they built wealth was by taking an element of concentrated risk somewhere. And for the most part, I saw it was in two places, either through having companies. So if somebody has a company, a lot of the time, that's where all of their wealth is is tied up in. And then the other thing I saw was mm-hmm. real estate. A lot of people had a lot of wealth in real estate. Now, once you've got that wealth, you can then look to diversify it and split it into lots of different asset classes because you want to have your money spread out so that you know if one part goes down, then the other one is almost independent and, and not affected. So I think that that's really important. So typically, if I'm looking at a property investment, for me personally, I won't consider it unless it can make a return of, I'm aiming for at least sort of 20% per annum. Now for me, that means that I'm likely, I will be making what is called an equity investment into a particular property project. And there are two types of investments that you can make. You can make equity-type investments or you can make debt-type investments. With an equity-type investment, you share in the risk of whoever's project it is. So if it does very, very well, you share in that risk. But equally, if it does badly, you share in that risk. The reason that the returns are so high is because you're getting paid for taking that risk. So for an equity-type property investment, for me, around a 20% per annum return. Compared to the sort of 0.1 or whatever it is you're going to get for your cash in the bank, it's a huge difference. Now, for a debt type property return, again, there are different levels and it depends on how much risk you're taking. If, for example, you invest in a debt like property investment where you have an element of security, for example, you can get what's called a charge over the property. And this is similar to what a mortgage company will do when they lend you a mortgage on your property. They will take a charge over the property, which means if you ever default on your mortgage you know, consistently, they can come and take the property from you. So in the same way, investing in a project on a debt like basis gives you that charge, which says if the project goes wrong then as the first charge holder or being part of the first charge holder, you get first recourse for getting some of your money back. So if it's a first charge investment, I've seen returns in the region of sort of you know 8% or so. Then you can also have a second charge investment. So you still have security, but not as much as a first charge, in which case your returns are slightly higher, maybe 10 to 12%. And then if you go right to the end of the spectrum, as I said, where you'd go into equity with no security, you're, looking, you're, you're expecting much higher returns, but then you have no security. So if the project goes wrong, then there is the potential for you to lose your money. So it's really important that you decide which type of investment suits your risk. And I always say to people, don't be lured just by the returns that you see. You really have to focus on, on the risk factors. Never invest more than you can afford to lose. And if it feels uncomfortable to you and you worry about making the investment, then it's probably not the right investment for you. Yeah. And that, that's something that I say to, to, to all people, even including some of my, my clients at Goldman sometimes. I'd show them investment and they would say, oh, that's great. You know, looks really fantastic. And then I walk them through the risks and I say, How do you feel about these risks? And they're like, Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. And then I'd explain it and say, Well, if this goes wrong, you know, you could be down, say, 20%, 30%. In monetary terms, this means X. And then you kind of see it sink in on their face and they're like, Oh, yeah, actually, I don't think I'd feel so comfortable with that. And I'm like, Well, then this isn't the right investment for you. So you always have to, don't just focus on the positives, look at the negatives. Weigh up what could go wrong. If things do go wrong, how are you gonna feel and will you be okay? If the answer is I'm not gonna feel okay and it's not gonna be good, then you probably shouldn't be doing it.
1: Yeah, and I, I like that you said that, you know, if it's if it's too good to be true, maybe it's not gonna happen and you're not gonna get the, this type of return. So thank you so much for mentioning also, you know, the risk and the things we should we should look for when making property investments. Where can one start learning? Is it I mean, obviously with, with Propel, but is there, you know, any other resource that's easy to use and, and easy to, you know, to understand um, in terms of maybe avoiding the dragon initially and, and getting started step by step? Mm-hmm.
0: So obviously, you know, as you've mentioned, you know, I've got Propel Network and then I've also got Black Property Network, which focuses on the Black community and more on financial literacy, but all around property as well. But beyond my two companies, there are lots and lots of property companies out there. You literally just have to Google and you'll be overwhelmed. So in terms <laughs> of choice, there is a lot out there. The only caveat I would give is that there's, there's very little regulation when it comes to the property industry. It's one of the things that actually quite frustrates me because I'm used to coming from a financial background where things are heavily regulated. In the property world, it's very limited. So anyone can set up shop and claim to be a property expert. And unfortunately, a lot of people do that, pretend that they have experience or they know what they're talking about. And then unsuspecting people will go and work with them, not knowing that the person doesn't really have a track record or know what they're doing. So yes, you should go and look online, but just be very careful about who you choose to work with or which organization you choose to move forward with if you do. Make sure you check people's backgrounds, look at their track record, make sure that they're legitimate. But ultimately, it's just finding the right, I guess, organization that fits for you in terms of personalities, styles, goals, where you're trying to get to. There'll be a lot of different people out there for you to choose from. So it's just about finding what, what works for you. It can be a little overwhelming because there is so much. So, you know, maybe sort of pick one or two, start there, work with them for a little bit. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, find, find somebody else. But there's definitely a lot of resources out there.
1: Yeah. And and in terms of advice, I guess advisors are, are should be regulated by by the FCA? It depends. So, at the retail level, yes. In order
0: to give advice, you do have to be regulated. So again, people can look for organizations that have that FCA authorization. So that's not something that Propel has. So within Propel, we give guidance. We don't give advice. Yeah. But as I like said, this, but, yeah. Yeah, but we partner with Leo Crowdfunding, which is regulated by the FCA. So if we, if we do a project or an investment project, we do it with them because they have the authorizations. Yeah. If you classify as what's called a sophisticated investor or a high net worth individual, then there's more that can be done w- with you because you don't have all the restrictions around what can be done with you isn't the same as with a retail investor. So, for example, you can work with one sophisticated investor or one high net worth individual without falling foul of any FCA rules.
1: yeah. Oh. No, thank you so much, Ayesha. I wanted to talk about the Black Property Network and and your experience. So helping maybe, you know, Black women, ethnic minorities investing in property and maybe your overall experience of being a Black woman working in finance.
0: Yeah, so I guess for me, it was really important personally to found the Black Property Network because, you know, I grew up in a Black community in London. And for me, again, my... My mother was you know worked quite hard to make sure that I had a good education. So and I think this is representative of quite a lot of black families within the community. Nobody was sort of sitting down at the dinner table talking about finances or investment or inheritance planning mm. or tax planning. Um I found that it was something that would generally happen for in, in much wealthier families and Back in the day, we weren't taught about, you know, financial literacy and investments at school. So if you are part of the black community and you're not taught at school, it's not something that's discussed at home. Then how on earth are you supposed to know anything about investing or, or being savvy with your money? And let's say, you know, you're fortunate enough, you manage to get into a good university, you get a good job, so you start to earn decent money. If you've never been taught how to manage it or what to do with it, then you're at a disadvantage because you have the means to now do better for yourself, but you're not necessarily doing the right things with it because you, you you're not even aware. Yeah. I absolutely fell into that category. You know, I started working at Morgan Stanley. I was earning, you know, a, a decent amount of money paying off my debts, but I was doing a lot of silly stuff as well, buying nice handbags and shoes and various other things, which with hindsight. Now that I know better, it's a terrible thing to do. But back then, I, I didn't know. I, I, you know, People would talk about pensions and things like that. I'm like, that's something old people do. I don't need to do that. But I didn't know any better. And over the years, obviously, and then working as, a, as an investment manager, I, I learned a lot. And if I could go back, I would do things so differently. But what I realized is, I can help other people in the black community to do things differently from from the beginning, because now I know if I share what I know and share that knowledge and say to people, hey, we need to be making these decisions much earlier. Even if you don't have huge amounts to to invest, start thinking about your pension, start thinking about your investments, because the the beauty of investing is actually in the compounding. It's investing little and often over time. And again, it's just not something that I felt was really predominant within the black community. And so I set up Black Property Network to to empower people. You know, it's not about sitting down and waiting for somebody else to come and save us. We can, we can do it ourselves.
1: And I think having, having a role model, so seeing you, I mean, like seeing you doing well in property, you know, working in finance, living, setting up your company, being financially independent is also, you know, such a good example and such a good motivation. So thank you so much for sharing your story.
0: No, it's been my pleasure. For me, as I said, at this point in my life, it's how many people can I help? And, you know, coming on on this podcast is, is such an honor. So thank you for having me.
1: No, of course, Ayesha. Can I ask you five quick fire questions? Sure. I wanted to ask you your your top financial goal.
0: My top financial goal? Um, this is going to sound a bit silly, but I've always had this, this dream of being able to take all my family, and I've got quite a big family, on a, a family holiday, like, you know, every couple of years. So I'm not wealthy enough to do that. As I said, I have a big family. But <laughs> that's one of the things I'd love to do all of us to get together, you know, once a year, once every couple of years, go away somewhere
1: nice. That would be lovely. That's amazing. The best financial decision you've ever made? Getting into property, like no doubt. Yeah. The worst financial decision, maybe?
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> the very first property I bought. <laughs> so back then I was very green and didn't know much. Bought a property, all in cash. the 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 seller at the time had two properties and God knows why. But with hindsight, it was a terrible thing to do. I bought one all in cash rather than buying both of them with a mortgage. And back then it was because, oh, you know, I don't want the debt. Yeah. Terrible decision. Should have bought both
1: of them. You've learned, you know, where, where you are today. Exactly. <laughs> you spoke about that already, but what is financial independence for you?
0: So for me, financial independence is, is where I am now. So I am fortunate enough that I don't have to work if I don't want to with the income that i've got from uh my property portfolio all my bills are covered all my sort of basic living expenses so you know can i get on a private jet and fly to wherever i want to no i'm not i'm not that wealthy but can i easily cover you know my food bills for the week and 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 basic expenses yes
1: thank you you know this makes me so happy to to hear that you know i mean some examples of you know women financially independent and, and thank you for sharing your story again because you know it's possible and, and and thank you for helping like other women to actually do that the thing you spend the most money on
0: <laughs> see that that question has changed so pre-lockdown <laughs> pre-lockdown i love to meet my friends to go out for dinners and go on holidays like getting somewhere on a beach that was my thing post-lockdown given we can't go anywhere what do i spend money on? Amazon, Netflix, yeah, Netflix, Amazon, anything, de- Deliveroo, anything that can be delivered <laughs> or that I can keep yeah. at home. But one of the positives of, of lockdown for me is that I'm actually spending so much less. Yeah. So I'm actually managing to accumulate money as well because.
1: Invest more. <laughs> yeah. I'm not
0: really spending anything. I don't bother with makeup anymore. There's no point having my shoes because I can't go anywhere.
1: Thank you so much. Ayesha, what's uh, what's next for you and maybe your, your investments? What are you going to do over the next few years?
0: For me, the focus is continuing to build my personal property portfolio because I see it as the it's a, it's a legacy for my daughter and hopefully for any more children that I have. So I want them to be in a position whereby they have that portfolio and they have the income from it. So they already set up now. I will still try to ensure that my daughter actually goes out and gets a job of her own because I think it's really important. Working actually instills a lot in you. But that property portfolio can be a safety net for them. So when I buy properties in my portfolio, I don't generally plan to sell them. I'm just building it up as big as I can. And the future is just make it as big as possible. And then my my other focus is on Black Property Network and Propel to really build those businesses out and to try and, help as many more people as I can to either reach financial independence or that's, you know, it may not be possible for everybody, but at least if I can help people to generate extra money every month or, you know, every year or however, whatever the time frame, I can positively impact their lives because they can use that money to have meaning to them, whether it's, you know, saving up to take their family on holiday or saving up for their children's university fees, or a pension, or just having extra income so you you don't have to stress about your job or worry about if you get fired. It makes such a difference to people's lives. I want to build those businesses out more so I can help more people.
1: Thank you so much, Ayesha. Where can we find you? Is it on Twitter, um, Instagram?
0: I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is just Aisha.afori. Black Property Network has its own Instagram. It's just Black Property Network UK. Propel Network has its own Instagram. It's just Propel Network. Um, Both of them have websites. So propelnetwork.com or blackpropertynetwork.com. And then also on LinkedIn. LinkedIn tends to be my more sort of Corporate
1: profile. I will add all these resources in the in the notes of the podcast. So you you you'll have all the links and stuff, and you can also email me um, and, and contact Ayesha. Ayesha, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I've actually learned a lot about property investing. That's something you know, we're going to look into more with with the community and and leverage uh, your knowledge and and proper knowledge. So, you know, hopefully we have another conversation in, you know, in a few months time and and we follow your your progress and and we hope to, you know, see you soon at, at an event.
0: Absolutely. I'm here. So whenever you're ready, just, you know, reach out and thanks again for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of seconds to rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our community on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe to our newsletter on Vespot.com. Feel free to email me with your comments and questions over at emily at Vespot.com. Thank you. Speak to you soon.